0: Hello, and welcome to another edition of Game Changers Clinical Conversations. I am Jeff Wall, your host and a professor of pharmacy practice at Drake University, joined as ever by my colleague, uh, Jay Galdo from CE Impact today. Uh, and today we've got a uh, a lot to go through, a lot to unpack uh, with the, the uh, latest uh, update to the ADA uh, guidelines. So we're going to dive into that in just a second. First up, before we do that, uh, as always, thank you for listening. Um, uh, you know, those of you who are, are longtime listeners really appreciate your listenership. If you're new, uh, please give us a like wherever you get your podcast. Please uh, uh, spread the word that that we're hopefully doing a good job. And uh, as always, please head over to our producer CE Impact. Take a look at, at the the numerous um, um, uh, programs they have going on. I was actually just looking through the other day, and we've got journal clubs, and they've got they've got uh, you know uh, uh, packages for that really really do I think give you the most bang for your buck as far as as, as the information you're going to get. It's going to be timely. It's going to impact your practice. It's not going to hit your Pocketbook too much, and like this uh, uh, podcast, I don't really think you can come up with an easier way to 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 uh, get the information into your brain. Basically, as you're driving to work, listen to us. You like us. We you uh, you get some information. Head over. You sign up for for the the CE uh, program and and answer a couple of questions, and you got your half an hour CE for listening to us. So you just you really can't beat that. I don't think so. Again, please 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 head over to CE Impact and check them out. Uh, um, anyway, so uh, with with that, we're gonna head in and. Get we got a lot to unpack. So again, uh, Jay Galdo, welcome as always, uh, my, my my colleague uh, uh, from CE Impact. We are going to talk about uh, the ADA guidelines. As all of you know, um, the American Diabetes Association every January in their January issue of Diabetes Care Journal come up with their updated guidelines for for the diagnosis, treatment, and management of, of patients with diabetes. It is a tome. <laughs> Um, as anyone who has to read it, I'm I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of CDE or, or or ambulatory care pharmacists out there going, yeah, I know, man. <laughs> you know, you're you're not you're not you're not telling me anything I don't know. Is 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 it's a it's a it's a it's a big tome. But fortunately, I think for for the boots on the ground regular pharmacists like me who doesn't deal with diabetes in and in, in and out, uh, you don't have to read the whole thing. In fact, uh, the the first thing I go to when I when I take a look at the AD guidelines is 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 the very front, which talks about any major changes because you know that's the thing I want to say. Is you know see is you know gee are we now recommending something completely different from previous years or is there an update to the guidelines and this year there actually are a couple of of, of fairly important updates that 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 we're going to talk about today um, but but uh, you know we'll 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 post a link to the ADA guidelines nowadays of course it's really nice because you just have to go on go on to their website and read them back in the old days when I was an old man you'd have to wait until they were actually printed and I had actually I had to wander down to the library and and print off the copies of everything you don't have to do that anymore thank goodness. Um, um, so so, so it makes it a lot easier to read, and and really any any pharmacist who deals with diabetic patients, which is probably most of us, uh, you probably should head over and at least read the the uh, um, um, updated changes and read the sections on pharmacotherapy if you don't have time to do anything else because I think it's pretty important. So, I'm going to shut up for a second, and let Jake talk. So, Jake, welcome to uh, uh, our this issue or this this version of of, uh, of uh, the ADA guidelines on game changers.
1: Thanks, Jeff. I'm really excited for us to cover 200 plus pages of. Yeah. In yeah, exactly.
0: After my blabbing, 15 minutes and counting, exactly. <laughs> so, so without so, without further ado, um, you know, I, there, there's a couple of pieces. And, and Jake, i you know, Jake has has extensive experience as as a community pharmacist. What are some of the areas in 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 particular uh, that the community pharmacists I think uh, should be really interested in, in this updated version of the guidelines?
1: So, so I love that you call that Section 9, which is the pharmacologic management. So that's always there for everybody. But when I think about community practice or even uh, ambulatory care practice, there's two sections at the front that jump out a little bit more to me. First is uh, Section 3, which is prevention or delay of type 2 diabetes, because the guidelines are going kind of all in on diabetes prevention programs. And I love BPP. I think this is a new area for pharmacy, particularly community pharmacy, to get an alternative revenue source, new. Clinical service in their patient population. Now, to get accredited with DPP, you go through the CDC. It's a little, little wonky. If we're going to be uh, kind of candid with it, uh, so we do it at our pharmacy. We failed the first time, but then we did get our accreditation, so we're doing it now. Excellent. Uh, reimbursement can, thanks. Reimbursement can be a little tough at times, but I think what's unique here is get the accreditation and then go to employers and do direct contracting because mm-hmm. this is all about wellness. It's all about finding people at risk for diabetes and preventing them from progressing to having full-blown diabetes. So it's a really cool service to, to really highlight the cognitive ability of the pharmacy team.
0: Outstanding, and and you know I I agree with you, and and uh, you know we we have talked, and, and I certainly I mean the wellness the wellness uh, movement, I guess if you want to use that term, in 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 primary care, of course, has been you know bubbling up and down for 30 years, right? I mean even when I came out of school years and years ago, they talked about how you know we we really should be focusing most of our resources toward this. Well, we now have data that shows that there are uh, steps that that can be taken, both lifestyle and even medication uh, um, uh, options uh, in patients at risk. And, and you're absolutely correct that that as, as more and more pharmacists get trained in 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 these programs and I wasn't even aware there wasn't a, an official uh, cred, uh, credentialing you know program you could take and, and get your pharmacy credentialed. so I think it's great um you know I think between that and pharmacists who are getting trained in wellness and I have a couple of colleagues at Drake who who are, are actually wellness coaches you know th- yeah you're exactly right that this is something that 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 pharmacists I think you know really are are, are uniquely trained to do we have the communication skills we know about the medication we know about the other things, and 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 again, if we can, the, the old litany. If we can just get people to 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 to, to uh, you know reimburse us for our time for doing this, you know, I'm I'm sure that 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 the results are not only helpful for the patient, but very, but very cost effective for the employer, very cost effective for for the payer, et cetera, et cetera. So that that's very good. Any other sections really jumped out at you for the community pharmacist?
1: The the other one that I do like is Section 4, which is Comprehensive Medication Evaluation and Assessment, which sounds like a lot. But for me, out of this entire guideline, all 200 pages, even even thinking about those uh, pharmacologic algorithms, I love Section 4 for the figures and tables within it. And it's really because they provide a checklist for management of patients with diabetes. There's this amazing table that pretty much goes through the entire journey for a patient with diabetes and says, this is what we assess for physical concerns. These are laboratory monitors that we're mm-hmm. assessing. These are the immunizations that the patient needs. And it's all there as like a nice little checklist. And so I love it because, you know, we have the patient that comes in every month getting their metformin. And we could say, do you have any questions about your metformin? And they're going to go, no. No. Or we could say, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, they don't. They've had yeah. it for two years now. Exactly. So then we could change the question and say, well, what's your blood sugar today? keep it a little bit open ended and create a dialogue. Or you can look at that list that's in chapter or section four that says, you know, annually we need to do an eye exam. And so then I just pick a random month, I don't know, June. Every June, every time I dispense metformin, hey, did you get an eye exam recently? All right. And then that way we're really supporting care for that patient.
0: No, I love that, and 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 again, it, it it's almost a national a natural fusion of of some of the medication sync programs that have become so common now in community pharmacy. Is you know can you and again not, not being a community pharmacist, I'm sure there's 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 some logistical issues there, but could you roll all that in? It's like instead of okay, well you know, sir, we've just synced your metformin and your aspirin and your statin, and and so you only have to come in once a once a a month and get all that stuff. And but I mean, you've got them captured there. You know, is is is, is that's a great place to to start working on programs like that. So no, I. I completely agree with you. So that that's terrific as well. Some of the things that I thought were interesting, uh, again, and, and some of this is 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 a little bit uh, you know uh, not beyond my ken, but certainly something that, that's a little bit beyond what I see a lot is you know I I know from my ambulatory care colleagues here at Drake that that the use of of of, of continuous glucose monitoring has just exploded in the last you know several years, and I, I was I I I think anyway my vibe my vibe was reading through the guidelines. They've really strengthened their recommendation for closed loop systems within. Insulin pumps and in patients on insulin. It, it apparently does show that you know, and I've not, I'll be honest, haven't read a lot of these studies, but but showing that that things like the IDCL uh, study and, and several other studies have suggested that this is a good way to keep people in 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 good uh, 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 control of their blood sugars without excessive uh, nocturnal or or symptomatic hypoglycemia. So I, again, I you know I know several ambulatory care pharmacists. That's pretty much what they do. Now, I wouldn't say all day long, but it's a lot of what they do is is setting up continuous glucose Monitoring programs and say pumps, and again, again, I I see no reason why you know the you know community pharmacists can't position themselves to be able to do that stuff. What's your take on that?
1: I think you're exactly right. Like I remember back in the day where patients would just give me their glucometer, and I'd have to click through it and try right. to look at their blood sugars and figure out what the heck's going on. And then, you know, a year or two later, we could suddenly plug it into a computer and download stuff. And that's really where we're going. We're looking at advanced technology to care for patients with diabetes. And, in fact, it's really neat because we're starting to talk about time and range or time to target mm-hmm. um, with blood glucose measurement. It's no longer is your fasting, and we define fasting as uh, no caloric intake for eight hours, between 80 and 130. Or 80 to 110, if we're talking about 70 to 110, if we're using different uh, guidelines. All of a sudden, we're saying, well, in a 24-hour period, does your blood sugar stay within the 70 to 180 range 70% of the time? Right. And if it does, we're doing a good job. And if not, what do we need to change?
0: Right. Interesting that that it's one of those kind of back to the you know, back to the future sort of things, a little deja vu that, you know, you know, for the for the pharmacists who were who, you know, we were always who we are dealing with a lot of anticoagulation with warfarin. That was always our 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 lodestone, right? You know, if you were in time and target with warfarin 70% of the time you were doing a pretty good job. And studies had shown that that pharmacist run anticoagulation clinics tended to do that a lot better than usual care. Now it seems like that, you know, that 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 concept has certainly made its made its way now 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 into the treatment of diabetes. And it's not, I think that they, they, you know they're not emphasizing A1C or A1C is not going to be important anymore. But I think that the 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 point is is that it, we're starting to realize that hypoglycemia is just as bad as hyperglycemia, and the and and so just like people are on warfarin, where we want them in that range, and too low is not good, and too high, we're trying to Goldilocks these patients. The same with with this, and so I think that is a big big change uh, to to the to the uh, to the uh, guidelines. Is that you know we now have really kind of a a new glycemic goal uh, in addition. To, to the other things. Again, I, I, I the vibe I got reading is that they weren't de-emphasizing it, except they're like, you know, this is the way we can, we can kind of roll in uh, risk of hypoglycemia. So yeah, I agree with you that, that that's a pretty big change. And again, this technology stuff, again, a bit beyond me being a hospital pharmacist, but, but this technology stuff certainly seems that, 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 that the, the, the studies I've read suggest that they're really positioned to do that. They're really positioned to keep people in this time to target as best as they possibly can. So uh, some other oh, sections Oh, please go ahead. Yeah.
1: I was going to say, it's my generation, Jeff. We just want an app for it.
0: <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, I, I, in my mind, I mean, you know, again, you know, where, where's my jet pack? It's 2020, you know, sort of thing. But you know, I, I keep waiting for the time where they're going to say, okay, here's a fanny pack, and it's got an insulin pump, and we're just going to connect you to a, to a, 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 a sensor that's going to continually monitor your glucose, and you're not going to have to do anything. You can walk around, and it's going to monitor your glucose all the time, and it's going to adjust your insulin, you know, accordingly. And you know, I'm, I'm sure we're on the road to getting that we may not be there yet but but yeah I mean one wonders if that is really going to be the ultimate treatment for especially for type 1 diabetics as time goes on so you know um they they, they do go into, into in uh, a good summary of, of treatment of, of diabetes obviously of obesity with diabetes uh, we do have agents now that you know both the sgl2 inhibitors and and the GLP drugs do decrease weight um, I, something Jake and I were talking before we started talking here is that I've, I've always you know I've always wondered why we we have have seemed to have this very narrow, uh, um, uh, window to help patients with with surgical options for, for for obesity and and you know again there are there are now numerous options beyond just the, the 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 you know gastric bypass surgery that was was pretty common in the 1990s now there's you know multiple you know different type of, of surgical options for obesity uh, several of them are reversible so i mean if the patient you know has a problems or they do is, you know lose significant amount of weight they can reverse the the you know the the, the surgical option and i'm hoping that in the future that 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 becomes something that insurance companies you know are willing to pay more for because because you know you can start that now and that leads us to to preventing a lot of other problems as as time goes on so and then you know probably the big one of course is 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 you know the update in in pharmacology I you know this the, I, don't, I I think the big change is, is that I saw in in this year's guidelines is they had some very very nice charts and 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 like Jake I love charts it makes it easy for for me to enter that information in my brain and even print them out and keep them in my little clipboard when I'm on rounds and stuff and and they had several great uh, uh, charts that really you know literally just walk you know the clinician through okay does your patient have atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease or a risk equivalent and if they do this is the pathway you. Follow. Uh, do they have heart failure? This is the pathway you follow. Do they have chronic kidney disease with or without albuminuria? This is the pathway you follow. And I, you know, it makes it very easy to walk through. And and I really really like that. The the, the big update from I think from a pharmacologic standpoint, obviously, would be that in heart failure now the stl two drugs really should be should be high on the list of patients who have concomitant uh, a systolic heart failure or heart failure with reduced ejection fraction for for you new people out there um, and uh, um, um, uh, diabetes and and of course, that's now been shown in, in several studies. Uh, they they do call out the fact, and I think pharmacists can get involved in here too. Is that you know and, until we can really be comfortable, it's a class effect with a lot of these things. We really should 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 focus on the medications that have been shown in clinical trials to have that benefit. And again, I think I think that's where pharmacists can play a big big role there um, for the cardiovascular uh, disease. Uh, they again they really push both the GLP one drugs and the sgl two drugs uh, front and center uh, because we now have solid data. Across the board, with, with these medications, that, that they they decrease cardiovascular events, and several of them actually show have been shown to decrease all cause mortality. And and you know, as I always say, you really can't get a a much better uh, outcome than than, than all cause mortality. So really pushing those drugs, you know, really up front and center after metformin in type two diabetics uh, to to get them under control, and, and in combination with metformin to get them under control. Something I that's a great thing is you know well, and something that that we really need to be kind of aware of as as, as we're dealing with stuff. And the chronic kidney disease, again, you know, the SGL2 drugs have, have now been shown in several studies to decrease renal outcomes, uh, poor renal outcomes. So, you know, progression onto diabetes, progression onto severe k- chronic kidney disease, um, and really should be used early on in these patients. Um, uh, you know, probably the best of all possible worlds is, is the patient who has albuminuria, probably should be on both an SGL2 drug and, of course, an ACE inhibitor, an ARB. And that one-two punch is, 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 is really, going. I think, going to be a big deal in, 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 in these patients. Uh, so that's, that's, I think, uh, you know, something. And so again, for those of those of you listening, you know, head to the guidelines, if you, if you don't have time to read, go, I ain't going to read 250 pages. I don't blame you. Uh, just print off those charts and just have them with you, take a picture of them, have them on your phone, you know, whatever it takes. And I think that will really, really help you in a crunch when you get asked the question about, Hey, what should I be doing here? You can, you can pull up those charts super duper easy and, 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 and really help. So that's, I think some, some pretty good stuff with there. Um, and Jeff, and, oh, please go ahead, Jake.
1: Sorry to jump in. I just want to kind of, I'm very biased on on the uh, the ASCBD pathway. We've been seeing that happen over the last like two to three years. And so I want to yes. give a, a big shout out to my old employer, uh, the Pharmacy Quality Alliance. They just endorsed a new quality measure uh, that is actually looking at appropriate therapy for individuals on, uh, or excuse me, uh, appropriate therapy for individuals with diabetes and established atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. So that Excellent. little pathway that we see in the uh, in the guidelines is now in a, an endorsed quality measure and we can actually see that possibly come to come into play for for measurement systems and how we care for patients, similar to STEM use with persons in diabetes. So I think uh, just a big call out to that for, for PQA for endorsing it, uh, but also knowing that that's something that we're going to have to start to uh, triage
0: and practice. Yeah, absolutely. And that may become a, another quality measure, as you point out, like statins and ACE inhibitor use and things like that. So yes, absolutely. And again, you know, I've said it a million times, yes, steel-2 drugs are going to be the statins of the 21st century. You know, After they become generic, it's going to be like, you know, is there anyone who can't be on on these medications, sort of thing. Uh, you know, speaking of which, uh, they do go into some detail talking about you know cardiovascular risk and, and the the whole section on 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 macrovascular complications and diabetes and prevention is really really good and, and, and I recommend you know trying to at least peruse that section. Uh, they confirm you know again you know that 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 use of aspirin for primary prevention is as most of us know now is is really kind of up in the air and that really unless patients have you know multiple risk factors for for uh, 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 cardiovascular disease. Uh, it isn't an automatic. Yeah, you should be on an aspirin a day because you because you've got diabetes. So that's something they uh, do emphasize again the the importance of of putting you know again most diabetic patients on statins. I'm sure Jake sees this in his practice. You know, I do see still plenty of younger type two diabetic patients, and by younger I mean you know 45 to 60 uh, who you know they're not on a statin, and it's like you know most of these patients, especially if their LDL is above 70, you know should be should be on a statin for 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 for, for cardiovascular Disease prevention because we know that's beneficial. Um, talking about antiplatelet agents, uh, it is I think worth pointing out that that in the last couple of years uh, there has been some uh, data looking at uh, 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 anti-thrombotic therapy in some in some patients, uh, and the ADA guidelines do call out uh, uh, rivaroxaban in particular in patients with with either stable coronary disease or peripheral arterial disease. The peripheral arterial disease is something that 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 I've, I'm very interested in because as most of you know, we don't have good treatments for peripheral arterial disease. I mean yes. We should, you know, control their blood sugars. We should control their lipids. We should control their blood pressure. We put them on antiplatelet agents, but you know, we, again, many of these patients, you know, will end up developing, you know, uh, uh, significant uh, lower limb problems and peripheral arterial disease, and end up having amputations and all that kind of fun stuff. And the COMPASS study did show, you know, in inappropriate patients that that uh, uh, rivaroxaban did cut uh, the risk of amputation significantly in these patients, and also it also in, uh, decreased cardiovascular outcomes as well. So, So again, uh, you know, not everybody and, and, and certainly you're gonna have to pick patients appropriately, but that's something that I, again, I'm trying to keep in the back of my mind when we have these patients and, and are they appropriate patients to get that sort of stuff that I think, um, and so, I, you know, I think that that's something else. And uh, the last section, of course, is on um, uh, for pharmacotherapy that I think is pretty important is on microvascular uh, uh, complications and, again, really does a good job talking about, uh, you know, uh, um, the, the development of chronic kidney disease and the reason why SGL2 drugs, I have a nice little segment on why SGL2 drugs seem to be so beneficial in, the, in this patient population. It's very nice to read. Again, nice just to take a look at, take a picture, take, quick, take a quick picture of and see what's going on. The section on, on hospital care, which is where all... I'll see, you know, patients is it hasn't changed a whole lot except that they do point out, and this is something I've definitely seen and something I've used myself um, is the use of, of NPH insulin in patients who are receiving steroids. And in the middle of the COVID crisis, since we seem to put every single person in the universe on dexamethasone now, uh, I am seeing more uh, a steroid-induced hyperglycemic than ever hyperglycemia than ever before. And uh, they point out the fact that 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 uh, NPH uh, uh, insulin is actually because of its pharmacokinetics is is actually pretty well designed. To handle the glucose excursions associated with with, with steroid use, in particular the the uh, uh, daytime uh, postprandial blood sugar ex- excursions that occur, and and again, there's there's not a lot of randomized control trial data out there, but they do point out that that's something to think about. And I've certainly seen a lot of of, of experts in there in the field of diabetes using this. I'm trying to use that more in in, in my in my inpatients as well. So something again for those who are working in a hospital to kind of think about. So, I, you know, again, you know, this is you know a, a a, a, a very very quick and, and dirty review and 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 Jake I, as always I appreciate your input and 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 your expertise in this. Uh, you, you know please go to the website please check them out. You don't have to read the whole thing if you just have ten minutes and you're like yeah sure. Well I'm I'm wolfing down some lunch. You know just read the updated guidelines uh, the the change in the guidelines in the at, at the first of of, of, of a section of, of the of the website. Try and review section nine I think because that's the pharmacology section that's really important. Uh, try and review, uh, if you can section 10 and 11, because again, that deals to, to microvascular and macrovascular, uh, um, uh, complications. And again, uh, section six, you know, since time and target is now, I think going to be something that, that we're seeing more and more of, I think that's worth a look as well. So any last thoughts, Jake?
1: No, I think we, we, I'm really impressed with us for, for covering <laughs> all 200 some odd pages. Like we did the, the only other kind of call out I'd say is that, uh, Starting last year, the ADA guidelines actually was a living document that updated over time and in real time. Uh, so I just encourage people to, to kind of bookmark that page and check it out every you know four to six months and see if there's major trials that have come out, uh, particularly in the summer after the, the ADA national meeting.
0: Right, right. I agree. So, um, you know, yeah, and that—that's. I think that's going to be the, the 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 standard instead of the exception here, very quickly, because I think as more and more guidelines are just published online now, instead we're not waiting for the you know November issue of X for something to get published. I think you're right. I think you're going to see more and more guidelines just kind of being living guidelines that we're just going to add more and more things to as time goes on. So, all right. Well, so uh, we'll come back for just a quick uh, final thought, but uh, before we do that, a a quick uh, uh, a note from our producer CE Impact. So, the ADA guidelines, something I look at every year, or probably every year since, ever since I've been a pharmacist. Uh, you don't need to read the whole thing. In fact, uh, I think I agree with Jake. If you, if, if you listen to us, at least we'll, 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 we'll give you the highlights. But if you do get a chance, I, I, as I said before, try and print off those uh, those uh, pharmacotherapy charts because they're excellent. And I think they really do uh, give you a nice mental reminder when you're dealing with, with patients or, or, or asking collisions or asking questions and stuff like that. That's it for this week of, uh, of Game Changers Clinical Conversations. Again, thank you for listening. Give us a like, give us a listen, give us a, a spread the word and head over to CE Impact. Uh, before I do sign off, uh, as many of you know, I do produce music under the name Prophet of Jupiter. I do have a new EP out uh, called recombinant Remixes, just uh, basically remixes of older songs of mine. If you like electronic music, head over to SoundCloud, head over to, to uh, uh, Spotify and just check them out and see what you think. Might, might be your cup of tea, might not, but just give it a shot. I'd appreciate it. So that's it. We'll catch you guys next weekend. Remember, time flies. I don't know where it's going, but the most important day is today. Take care.